Welcome to the Leadership Playground. I'm your host, Brian Roth, and excited to be launching a leadership podcast. You say, why would you launch a leadership podcast when there's 100,000 leadership podcasts already available to us? I'll give you three reasons. Fun, fresh paint, and balance. That's the elevator speech. If you're leading and not having fun, you're doing something wrong. We're going to put some fresh paint on some traditional leadership ideas to let you think about those ideas differently. And we're going to talk a lot about balancing leadership and management. There's a lot of people talk about leadership or say they're talking about leadership. A lot of people talk about management. They talk about them as independent. I'm either a leader. I'm either a manager. That's not practical. It's not what you do. That's not what you feel every day when you're out there uh, at work, wherever that may be, or at home. What you do is you do both. And so we're going to talk about the balance between the two. I think that's critically important. I don't think people are talking about it. So there you go. Those are three quick reasons why this is the right podcast for you if you want to improve your leadership. Again, the Leadership Playground. My name is Brian Roth. What should you expect in this podcast? About 30 minutes, about once a week. We'll talk about leadership and we'll do a book review at the end. Who am I? Uh, again, my name is Brian Roth. I grew up in a small town in Indiana, the no stoplight kind of town. Went to a small Christian college where my parents both worked called Taylor University. My dad taught physics, my mom was the college nurse. I graduated with a degree in physics, not because I'm smart like my dad, uh, simply because I have enough DNA, I was able to make it through. Question is, in the late 80s, with a physics degree, what do you do? Thought about teaching and coaching at the high school level, realized, eh, probably not the best fit for me. Thought about being a meteorologist, might be kind of cool standing out in the middle of a hurricane, saying, hey, it's really windy. But then I thought, well, weather patterns repeat, that might not be so cool either. Then the United States Navy came knocking at the door and I thought, well, that's interesting. They have these thing called submarines. They're nuclear powered. That certainly sounds like that might be kind of fun. So we joined the Navy. You say, oh, you joined with a friend of yours? No, when I say we joined the Navy, I mean individuals don't join the military. Families do. So we joined the Navy, we being myself and my wife, Sharice. We spent 22 years in the Navy, 12 years on active duty in the submarine force, then 10 years in the reserves. In that time, we had three kids who are now all grown and out of the house Moved uh, 10 times in 12 years, and we've moved in 32 years of marriage, 20-ish times, 22 times, something like that. I think it depends how you count. So we've been around a lot, moved a lot, saw a bunch of different things. And the Navy's really where my leadership journey really started, really uh, became intense. Because coming up, coming from a small town in Indiana, I assumed that if you're the commanding officer of a nuclear-powered ballistic missile submarine, you were at least a good leader, if not a great leader. But then when I showed up to my first submarine, I realized, hmm, either that's good leadership and I just don't know what it is, or it's not and I should go figure it out. Well, it seemed to be door number two. It wasn't good leadership, and I had to go figure out what, what it was. You say, well, how can the commanding officer of a submarine not be a great leader? I thought the military produced great leaders. We'll talk about that. We know that position doesn't make you a leader. So how do people elevate themselves in organizations without having really tapped into much of their leadership potential? You're at the right place. We'll talk about it. After leaving active duty, I went into the civilian power industry, ran a power plant in Michigan for about 10 years, went to the corporate office, 
was the vice president of operations for the last six. And then in 2018, Sharice and I decided we would leave all that and start our own business, a leadership consulting business by the name of Employment to Deployment. Why do you name a company Employment to Deployment? Well, it gives you a really long email address at employment to deployment, but that's dot com, but that's not why we did it. We did it because of the concepts contained in employment, the number two in deployment. Employment is a job, it's work, it's the value somebody else places on your abilities. Deployment is a purpose or it's a mission. When we used to deploy in the Navy, we would deploy for a specific reason, a specific purpose carried out over a given amount of time. The number two is also an interesting number in that looked at from one direction, it, it implies unity, as in the two should become one in a marriage. But looked at it from the other direction, it implies separation, as in division, die meaning two, two visions, or divorce. So employment to deployment, what's that all about? We believe that your employment, what somebody's paying you to do, and your deployment, the reason you exist on planet Earth today, can connect now. Not in some future date, not when you retire, not, but they can connect now. In other words, you can go to work every day and not only be paid for what you're doing, but deliver what it is you're uniquely created to deliver to those around you. Why don't we then, if that's in fact the case, how come so many people work at a job they don't really like, hoping that someday maybe they'll be able to do something they they would like? I think it's because of leadership or or the inability to activate their leadership potential. So human beings are created unique. You have a unique gift, but there's also a common aspect to us. And part of that common aspect is we all have the ability or capability to lead and to manage. We often don't do both of those. We generally manage because that's what we learn to do first take out the trash, do your homework, feed the dog, check, 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 and you can go play. But we don't always tap in the leadership side. We don't know how to activate it. We don't know how to find the keys to unlock our leadership potential. So it remains dormant. If we don't tap into our leadership side of us, then there's no way we're ever going to see the future condition where our employment, our deployment connect. It's the leadership side of us that allows us to see the possible. Not what's happening today, but what could happen in the future. That could happen in the future. That's what helps you see your employment and your deployment coming together. So what do we do at employment to deployment? We try to help people find those keys to unlock their leadership potential so they can find purpose and meaning in all aspects of their life. That's what we do. That's why we're doing this podcast, because we try to get this information out to anybody who listen to us. So, again, Brian Roth, this is the Leadership Playground. Excited you're here. Um, why did we call it the leadership playground? We could have come up with a million different names. Again, what do you get at a playground? We have grandkids now. When you go to a playground, what do you do? Well, it's fun. I said leadership should be fun. It's an adventure. You're always trying some new things. Maybe you've never gone down the big slide before or climbed the rock wall, something new. There's some risk associated with it. You know, are you really going to be able to do this without your parents or your grandparents helping you? And then there's this, um, piece of playground equipment called a seesaw that we're going to talk about in terms of balancing leadership and management. We're going to talk about what does that mean? A lot of people get concerned when they hear me say that leadership and management are different, but equally important because equal to them means 50, 50. 
That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that they're, they should be balanced, whatever balance looks like. And that's why we use this concept of a seesaw to explain that. We'll do that a little bit more uh, next session when we're going to talk the entire time about balancing leadership and management. But we'll talk about it a little bit probably toward the end today. So that's why I call it the Leadership Playground. Again, your host, Brian Roth. Excited to be here. Let's jump into today's topic, which we're just going to define leadership and management. We're going to talk about those two briefly, just uh, bait the hook a little bit for for the next session, the next episode. And then we'll talk about Simon Sinek's book called The Infinite Games, which came out in 2019. There's probably about a million different definitions for leadership. So I'm going to now give you a million and one because I'm probably going to give you a different one. So here's how I define leadership. It's authentic storytelling where trust is pervasive, actions inspired, and empowerment is accepted by many, resulting in unlocking the leadership potential of willing people or willing employees. Again, leadership is authentic storytelling where trust is pervasive, actions inspired, and empowerment is accepted by many, resulting in unlocking the leadership potential of willing people or willing employees. Let me unpack that a little bit, but I'm going to first define management before I do that. Management is the planning, processes, and procedures that create a pathway to achieving goals, metrics, and objectives. Again, the planning, processes, and procedures that create a pathway to achieving goals, metrics, and objectives. Okay, we're going to talk about those two a little bit, what those two definitions mean, then a little bit about balance, and then next, next episode all about balancing those two ideas. Let's first take the first part of leadership, authentic storytelling. We define authentic storytelling as a picture of the future that's better than your present reality and is told with authenticity or originality or believability, whichever word fits best for you in there. Again, picture of the future. It's a state that we don't currently have but would like to have someday that's better than our current state, better than our present reality, and it's told the way I would tell it, using my words and my vernacular. There's really four concepts kind of buried in that definition. The first being present reality. People go, well, I know present reality. I'm living in present reality, so obviously I know that. You are living in present reality. That's not a newsflash. So is everybody around you living in present reality. The difference is the lens by which you see present reality compared to what other people see it. I know this is going to be another shocker. Not everybody sees the world the way you see it. We can look at the same event and two people can walk away with different pictures of that. That's why in the court of law, oftentimes you want more than one eyewitness. One eyewitness saw a silver Toyota Corolla and the other one saw a gray Volkswagen Jetta. They both saw the same thing. They walked away with different pictures of what they saw. So present reality, although you're living in it, doesn't mean everybody around you is seeing it the same way you are. That's why we want to be engaged with the people around us so we understand in a, the best picture we can have really what is that present reality that the people around us are seeing. Why is that important? Because we're trying to paint a picture of the future that's better than that. If we don't have a good picture of that, then the future picture may not connect with everybody that we want it to. That's present reality. Authenticity really just goes to believability and believability goes to trust. Really, to be authentic, you got to believe what you're saying. What happens in a lot of cases is people just regurgitate. They just act as a conduit for what they've heard. They're just passing along words, but they're not 
understanding those words. They're not believing those words. They're not committed to those words. So you come off as inauthentic. And so authenticity simply means believing what you're saying. If you want to be authentic, then you got to believe what you say. If you don't believe it, why would anybody else? That's authenticity. Story gets a little more difficult to explain here because we use story in a little bit different way than a lot of people do. If I was to say, tell me your story, many people would would think I'm saying, tell me your experiences, give me your life experiences. Grew up in a small town, graduated from high school, took a year off, backpacked in Europe, came back, went to college, got a degree in engineering, blah, blah, blah. That's important, but it's not story in our definition. That's experiences that you've had, and that connects with the telling portion that we'll talk about in a minute. But when we say story, and again, I said I had a degree in physics, so I'm doomed to think in terms of equations here, but story is simply mission plus vision. Story equals mission plus vision. We won't talk about mission and vision. Why not? Are they bad words? Are we smarter than everybody else that does talk about mission and visions? No, no. We don't talk about mission and vision because, and this is really important, the value of your mission and vision is not in the words. It's in the depth of understanding you can drive into the organization. Again, your, the value of your mission and vision is not in the words. I know many companies spend way too much money hiring consultants to try to make sure their mission and vision say the right thing. All the words are in the right order, in the right place, and it says, says exactly what we want it to say. Yet, they don't drive it into the organization. They leave those missions and visions on the website, hanging in the executive hallway, on the annual report, but they're not driven into the organization. The value of your mission and vision is in the depth you can drive understanding of it into the organization. If you can't drive understanding of your mission and vision in the organization, what you typically have then is when you go out and say, hey, tell me what our mission is. Somebody goes like, uh, it's to deliver a uh, superior customer. I mean, tons of passion and energy in that, right? What are they doing? They're trying to remember the words they memorized, but they have no idea really what it means to them as an employee. So the reason we use story is because there's a natural connection to story. There's a natural affinity to story where there's not to mission and vision. And you can just do this, get 10 people around the table and say, I want to talk about the company's mission and vision. Step back for a second, look at their body language, and then say, hold on a second. I just want to tell you a story. Step back and look at their body language. I guarantee you the body language is going to change. Why? Because we've been listening to stories and telling stories ever since we've been a little kid. Stories connect naturally with us. We want to be a part of the story. We want to see somebody in the story we can connect with. All those things interest us and they excite us. You want to drive your mission and vision deep into the organization? Stop worrying about the words and start driving the understanding. I would recommend you go away from mission and vision and go to story because there's just a natural connection there. So that's story for us. Again, equals mission and vision. It's not that mission and vision are bad words. We simply use story because of its connective ability, and that helps us drive the understanding of our stories deep into the organization. We're going to talk about three types of stories we tell, organizational stories, personal stories, and event or subject-specific stories, but that will be at a later date. 
Telling is the last piece of this. Authentic storytelling, present reality, authenticity story, now telling. Telling, you will probably assume is communicating. It is. But before you communicate, you have to connect. How do you connect? One of the ways is through shared experiences. So those experiences that you've had, where you grew up, where you went to school, what you've done, those are important because they provide this connection. And when there's a connection, there tends to be an ability to convey a message that will be listened to and internalized more likely than if there is no connection. That's why if you look at keynote speakers or if you talk to a keynote speaker right before they go on to talk to a group of people, and you said, what are you thinking about? They're likely thinking about how am I going to connect? That's why they may come out and tell a joke. They may come out and tell a story that relates to the organization they're talking to. All of that's about connecting so their message has a place to land. Connecting creates a landing area for our story or for our our message. So that's one way that we connect is through share experience. There's others we'll talk about. But that's authentic storytelling. So that is the first thing. If you want to improve your leadership, the first thing you're going to have to do is become an authentic storyteller. You say, that sounds easy. It was easy. Everybody be doing it. And there's not a lot of people doing it. So it's not as easy as it sounds, but it is something you can learn to do and should learn to do. Why is authentic storytelling important? It's important because of the next piece of that definition, which is trust. Now, we'll define trust slightly different than you maybe heard it defined in the past. Not today, but in a future episode. But it says trust is pervasive. Pervasive simply means throughout the organization. There's not trust at the, with just the executive team or just with some division or department. But throughout the organization, there's a, there's a level of trust that is different in your organization than you see in others. Okay? Trust is pervasive. Actions inspired. You might go, I thought you were going to give us a kind of a touchable, tangible kind of approach to leadership. And inspiration doesn't feel very touchable or tangible. We're going to define it in a very touchable, tangible way. We're also going to compare it to two other words that you're more familiar with, which are discipline and motivation. Again, in the concept of balancing leadership and management, we're going to say discipline and motivation are important, but they're management concepts and inspiration is a leadership concept. Then we're going to go on and it says empowerment is accepted. What does that even mean? Again, to understand empowerment, we need to compare it to another word that we're familiar with, which is called delegation. Delegation and empowerment are different. People often dress up delegation to look like empowerment, but it's still just delegation dressed up. Delegation is about a task and how to complete the task. Empowerment is about a transfer of authority. That's very different. Task and how to do a task are the transfer of authority. You can force somebody to take delegation or you can force somebody to do a task do this, do it this way, or go find another job. You can't force somebody to take authority. In other words, you can't force empowerment on somebody. That's why it says empowerment's accepted. All we can do as a leader is offer empowerment and hope that, or better than hope, create an environment where that empowerment will likely be accepted. We'll talk about how that environment gets created. That's why we say empowerment's accepted. The result of that is we start to unlock the leadership potential of willing people or willing employees Not everybody that we tell authentic stories to is going to want to unlock their leadership potential. We want everybody in the organization to tap into that because that's really the only way we balance leadership and management effectively throughout the organization is everybody's doing it. But we're naive to think that every employee is going to want to do that or every person around you is going to want. That's why we added the willing piece in there. 
And again, unlocking their leadership potential. I'm not trying to, through this podcast, make you a great leader. I'm not even trying to develop you as a leader. I'm simply trying to take what you have inside of you, give you some keys, help you unlock what's in there, and help that dormant leadership that's been laying inside of you for however many years, let it out. If you can let that out, um, you're going to be in a much better position because you'll be balancing leadership and management much more effectively. Um, let me jump into Simon Sinek's book review real quick called The Infinite Games. Great book. Uh, full disclosure, I've only read two of his books, The Infinite Games and Start With Why. Cover to cover, the other ones I've skimmed, but they just didn't connect as well with me as these two did. So um, let me talk quick about this book called The Infinite Games. He first defines a finite game and an infinite game. A finite game has known players, known rules, and a defined outcome. An infinite game has known and unknown players, rules that can change, and you play to keep the game going. So a finite game is like a football game. we got a roster of players. We know the rules, and somebody wins or loses. An infinite game is like everything else, family, church, religion, politics, business. Um, players come and go. In other words, employees come and go. The rules can change, and you play to just keep the game, to keep the game going. In other words, <clears throat> business never stops going. You may leave, but business keeps going. Family never stops going. Um, there's going to be family members come into your family that you don't even know about yet. That's an infant game. The challenge we have, or the challenge most people have, is they try to play infinite games using finite rules. Now, there is finite games that exist inside infinite games, but that's different than applying finite rules to an infinite game. In other words, if we took politics, there is finite games. There are election cycles. There are campaigns. There's a winner and a loser in a campaign. But politics isn't played to win or lose. The campaign is because you need to get elected. But once elected... There should not be a finite mindset that's brought in there. In other words, simply trying to win or lose results in what we oftentimes see today. Republicans on one side, Democrats on the other side, and the two never meet. In other words, it's a good idea if you're a Republican, and it's a Republican idea. If you're a Democrat, it's a bad idea. If you're a Democrat and it's a Democrat idea, it's a good idea. If you're a Republican, it's a bad idea. That's, apply that's applying finite rules into an infinite game. It just doesn't work. I mean, you can do it, and it happens a lot. It just doesn't work. Same with business. This idea that we're going to be the best, that we're going to win, we're going to beat somebody, that's not the right mindset. It's a finite mindset in an infinite game. Business is going to keep going on and on and on and on and on. He talk, further talks about infinite games having five components, a just cause, trusting teams, a worthy rival, existential flexibility, and the courage to lead. I think part of the reason this book connects with me, and it's a great book and I highly recommend it. If you're looking for a book to read, pick it up. It's a great book, is because of this concept of just cause and kind of the bigger concept of finite and infinite games. In, a, in maybe my vernacular, the infinite part of this connects with leadership and the finite part of this connects with management. As I said before, we're going to talk a lot about balancing leadership and management. So I think that's part of the reason why the book connects. The just cause part even connects even more with me because he talks about a just cause as 
a future condition. It defines where we're going. It describes the world you would hope to live in and that you're going to commit to helping build. He then also talks about his original book or his first book called Start With Why. Also a great book. If you haven't read that, it's probably 10 or 11 years old, 12 years old. I don't know exactly when he wrote it. Great book. I highly recommend you pick that up. But a why is not your just cause. A why is your, your contribution. It's your uniqueness. In other words, a just cause could be common amongst a lot of people, but your contribution to that just cause is your why. So he talks about how his books start with why and how his book, The Infinite Games, how those two connect. It's a really powerful part of the book. Probably the part of the book I took the most out of or took the most away from the book is that. Again, good book. Um, highly recommend you pick it up. The Infinite Games by Simon Sinek. He published it back in 2019. Okay, listen, we're coming to the end of this first um, episode. Glad you joined us. Hope to uh, have you be a subscri subscriber and join us in future episodes as well. Uh, next time, we're going to talk about balancing leadership and management, what that means, what it looks like, um, why balancing doesn't mean 50-50. Uh, again, people get just very confused sometimes and thinking, oh, I'm supposed to lead 50% of the time and manage 50% of the time if I'm going to be balanced. It's simply not true. We're going to give you another equation. Again, doomed to equations. We're going to give you another equation that's going to help you see why balance doesn't have to be 50-50. And it's not 50-50 for most of us. I mean, we might pass through a stage where we're, balanced, where we're leading 50% and managing 50%, but most of us don't do that. There's some other percentage it changes frequently, and and the only way then to understand am I balanced is to understand both leadership and management and then understand the concept of balance. So we're going to go into a, probably more detail than you want next time. We'll also review The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni um, because we'll talk a little bit probably in this process about team building, and, um, and that book is more than this, that. I mean, he talks about organizational health in that book. Um, so it's a good book all the way around. The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. We'll review that next session as well. Listen, thanks again. Uh, appreciate you being here. Appreciate you listening. Again, my name is Brian Roth, and this is The Leadership Playground. <laughs>